Well, that was exciting. All right, I'm really excited to share with you guys this morning. Uh, but before we start, will you guys pray with me really quick? Uh, Father God, I thank you for our church. And uh, I thank you for the opportunity um, that we have to come together and to worship you and to hear from your word. And Lord, I just ask that you speak through me this morning. That you give me the right words to say. And God, that uh, we leave here knowing a new truth about you or or we are reminded of a truth that we tend to forget. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So next week, something big's happening. All right? And, uh, and it's not just church again, but the Super Bowl. All right? Who's excited about the Super Bowl? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. All right. You know, whether or not you're excited about it or whether or not you like football, you probably knew this was coming. Walmart has their, their chips on sale and their two liters on sale. So it's the time of year again in which we celebrate the big game. And, and I love the Super Bowl. and I love Super Bowl parties. And, uh, and I love football. And I feel like that's very American. Like we just tend to love football. For those of you that don't love football, I'm not saying that you're not American, but you know. So, um, but, but we love football, and some people get really wild, like out in Oakland, there's people that, that dress up in, in all black and look really scary, and they, um, they're called the black hole uh, for the, the Oakland Raiders, and they're really frightening. Up in Wisconsin, people get crazy, and they put cheese on their heads and stuff like that. So, like, there's all kinds of these weird, crazy things that we do, and because we love football, and one of the, the things that we as Americans do, because we love football, is we make movies about football, all right? And some of you automatically may have thought of Remember the Titans or Rudy, or maybe you, uh, maybe you Sandra Bullock fans were thinking of The Blind Side, or maybe you're thinking, you know, Facing the Giants, you know? But me, personally, when I think football movies, I think of the American classic, the cinematic masterpiece, the 1999 film, The Waterboy. Yes, I've, some of you have seen it, all right? There's nothing that captures the heart of the underdog quite like the water boy. For those of you who have not uh, witnessed this great movie, um, I really can't recommend that you do go see it. But to give you kind of a synopsis of what happens, there's this guy, his name is Bobby Boucher, and he's played by Adam Sandler. Yes, it's that kind of movie. And he's a 31-year-old water boy for a college football team in southern Louisiana. So as you can imagine, he gets made fun of quite a bit. So he has all this built-up aggression. And he's encouraged to let this aggression out on the opposing team. And he just becomes this unstoppable tackling force. All right, just taking people down. And he leads their underdog team, the Mud Dogs, to the championships or the championship game, and they play their rival school. It's, it's great. It's just everything you'd expect out of a football movie and more. And this movie features some great characters. You know, some of you might, you know, your favorite might be uh, Farmer Fran, or maybe you just love Mama and the things that she says. But me, I love Coach Klein, all right? Coach Klein is the head coach of the Mud Dogs, but he didn't start there. He started as an assistant coach with this other guy, Red Bowyu, at this esteemed college where they turned out football champions regularly. Well, when the head coach went to resign... It was between Red and Coach Klein. And Coach Klein had this unique knack of writing plays. And he had this green playbook that he wrote all of his best plays in. And Red was the muscle. And so when it came time to, to figure out who was going to be the head coach, Red goes to, to Coach Klein and he says, Hey, 
I need that playbook. He takes the playbook from him. He gets the job. And Coach Klein's career and his life just spirals into nothingness. He gets fired and he ends up as the coach of the Mud Dogs, who are this awful team. So it all happened because his playbook went away. And he couldn't, he couldn't figure out how to write good plays. All of his good plays were gone. They got a hold of his playbook. So today, you might be thinking, okay, what's this have to do with things? Well, today... Um, we, we are talking about temptation. And as I was thinking about what I was going to say, I was thinking how oh, temptations teams face, it's really about the same temptations the rest of us face. They just look just a little bit different. See, a teen might be tempted to cheat on their math test. Adults might be tempted to cheat on their taxes. Okay, so there's, there's a bit of a difference, but it's still cheating. So we're just going to be talking about temptation in general, and we're calling it Satan's playbook. All right? We're going to open up the Bible. We're going to look at these two different accounts of temptation and we're going to try and figure out how we can be better prepared for the attacks from the enemy. And these two different accounts, you've probably heard of them. Uh, you're, pretty, you're probably pretty familiar with them, too. Um, it's in Genesis 3 and Luke 4. It's the temptation of Adam and Eve and the temptation of Jesus. So I'm going to read from, from Genesis 3 uh, right now. For the, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from from any of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit, fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will surely die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she gave it to her husband, and he ate it too. Then their, then their eyes were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, if you flip really fast, all the way up to Luke chapter 4, I missed it. Luke chapter 4, this is Jesus. This is right after he's baptized, and this is what it says. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was very hungry. The devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. Then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up with their hands so you do not not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. These two passages are very similar. They're, They're parallel. Okay, In one situation, we see Adam and Eve... They are met with temptation and they fail. And then on the other situation, we see Jesus who's met with temptation and he succeeds. So we're going to try and learn from this. We're going to see what Satan did 
And hopefully, we're leave, we leave this place better prepared for the temptations that are, are going to come our way. So if you open your bulletin, you're going to see that things aren't quite the way they usually are. This is more reflective. I, I really would love for you guys to take notes in this and, and write down the things that are tempting to you, how you need to address those things. And, and I really hope that as we leave here, this is something that's personal for you. So let's start with play number one, temptation number one, and that's the desire of the eyes. All right. When Eve examined the fruit, or the desires of the flesh, I'm sorry, I messed that up. All right, the desires of the flesh. When Eve examined the fruit, she noticed that it was good for food. All right? And when Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus is very hungry. And Satan tempts him to turn stones into bread to satisfy his hunger. See, Satan plays on the desires of our flesh. He knows that we need food and water and shelter and clothing. And he uses that against us. But really, this isn't a test of strength. It's a test of who do you depend on? We are faced with this question. Do I rely on God and do I rely on him taking care of me or do I rely on myself? See, we see this in both the stories. When Eve was presented with this question, was she with the, presented with this temptation from the devil, was she desperate for another source of food? No. They could have eaten from any tree in the garden. So she wasn't starving. She was told, you have all of this, but it wasn't enough. She had to take matters into her own hands. Her and Adam had to take matters into their own hands. Jesus, on the other hand, he was very hungry. He was out in the desert, and he was able to satisfy that hunger. But Jesus knew that he wasn't going to die out there. He knew that God was going to take care of him, and he trusted that provision. Eve did not. Adam and Eve did not. Jesus did trust the provision of God. And for us, we're not necessarily tempted with taking the apple or turning stuff into bread, but we're tempted with this sin called gluttony. And I'm not just talking about the excess of food and drink, but when we're just never content with what we have, we want more house, more money, more cushion, whether it's in our couch or in our bank account. We just are never quite satisfied with what we have. That's gluttony. And I'm not saying that having nice things is sinful. I didn't come prepared to preach that sermon today. But I am saying that not being satisfied with what God has given us, I think that is. When we don't recognize that he is taking care of us, I think that is. See, this is a very effective way for Satan to trap us in sin. He uses our own mortality against us and our own desire for independence against us. But Jesus gives the correct response in Luke 4.4. He says, man does not live on bread alone. And the rest of that passage is, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. And in this passage, it speaks of not forgetting God's provision while the Israelites were in the desert. See, it wasn't just by bread that they were able to make it out of there. It was by God's guidance and God's provision that they were able to make it out of the, the desert safely. So in the same way, we need to rest in God's provision. And that's really easy to say, but it's really hard to do. So I wanted to give you guys a practical application as you go home from this. One of the things that I've found, like when I'm in that gluttonous phase of I just want more and more and more and more, I'm never satisfied. If I turn my attention to being thankful, I have a much better appreciation for the things I have. When I take time to say, God, I praise you for what you've given me. Because I recognize that 
this comes from your hand. When that happens, I stop going to God like this. And I'm much more aware of what I do have. So Satan's going to use the temptation of our flesh, flesh, the desires of our flesh, to lead us into sin. The second temptation is the desire of our eyes. See, when Eve examined the fruit, she observed that it was pleasing to the eye. And when Satan took Jesus to the high place or the mountain, in Luke 4, he showed him the kingdoms of the world in an instant and offered Jesus dominion over it all if Jesus would only worship Satan. See, Satan uses what we see to tempt us. He uses what we see to lure us into shortcuts because, see, God has promised us something bigger. He's promised us, ultimately, a perfect life in heaven, a life so perfect that we can't even imagine it. But Satan likes to put these things in front of us, these things that we see in front of us, these shortcuts to try and convince us that that way is the easy way. It's the way to the instant gratification. And as I was thinking about this and writing this sermon, I thought of this video. It's called The Marshmallow Test, and I hope that you guys appreciate it. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay? All right. So I'm going to leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> I love that video. I think it's pretty cute. Uh, but oftentimes we end up just like those kids. We're promised something so much better, but then there's this shortcut that's right in front of us. And some of us, we just say, forget it and eat that marshmallow. You know, some of us, we nibble on it and that kind of stuff. And by the time we're done, we might as well have just eaten the whole thing. And some of us, we're able to resist, but we're like that kid who's just like, oh, I can't do it. All right. So these things, they, they pop up in front of us. See, Satan lures us in with these shortcuts. And one of the ways that he presents these shortcuts to us is in the form 
of idols. See, when he came to Jesus, when Satan came to Jesus, he said, I will make you a ruler over everything you see here. All you have to do is worship me. All right? But Jesus knew that he was going to be a ruler someday. He knew that in God's time, he was going to have complete and total and eternal dominion over everything. He just needed to wait. And see, that's why Jesus replies to Satan in Deuteronomy 6.13. It says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It says, I'm going to worship my God and only him. See, Satan comes to us and he doesn't necessarily show us the kingdoms of the world and say, hey, I'm going to make you a ruler. Instead, he tricks us with things like, well, I can make you happier. Yeah, your life can get a lot easier and a lot better. All you have to do is just bow down to entertainment. Bow down to money or your job. Or bow down to relationships or bow down to yourself. Worship anything else that's not God and you'll be happy for right now. But that's not lasting. And any of us that have fallen into that trap and chased one of those idols down, we know that they're hollow. It's just like the, the hollow chocolate bunnies. There's nothing there. It might have been good at first, but it's not very lasting. And see, we have to stand up to and resist these idols because they're going to keep coming at us because it's a very effective way of getting us trapped in sin. It's something that Satan's going to keep using against us. And so as I was racking my brain trying to figure out like a practical application of how we can resist this, I thought about what Jesus said. He said, worship the Lord your God. Worship the Lord your God. See, when we worship God for who he is and how big he is and how powerful he is, when we truly appreciate who God is, the idols that stand next to him will not compare. Because God is so much bigger. He's so much better. So when we come to God and we truly worship him, it's going to be a lot easier to say no to those hollow, empty idols. When we have focus on something or someone that's much bigger and much better, nothing's going to compare. So Satan's going to use the desires of our flesh. He's going to use the desires of our eyes. And the last thing that he's going to do is he's going to use our desire for power. See, in Genesis 3, 6, Eve sees the fruit is desirable for gaining knowledge. Satan promised that this would make them like God, knowing good and evil. In Luke 4, Jesus is tempted to throw himself off the top of the temple. And the angels would save him, and the Jews expected to see the Messiah at the top of the, the, the temple. And so it would have been an excellent way to show off his power. See, Satan knows that we humans desire to be powerful. And I think that we desire to be powerful um, beyond just you know, for the sake of having power. Or the sake of being in control. I think it's something deeper. It's a a revelation of our lack of faith in the one who's the most powerful. See, we desire power because we don't trust the one who's in power. We don't have faith in the one who's in power. We saw this last week with King Ahaz. He was told to have faith. He was given something directly from God. And he couldn't do it. He had to take matters into his own hands. We see that throughout the New Testament with Jesus and his disciples. He's constantly rebuking them for their lack of faith. And we see this in our own life, too, when we're presented with these opportunities to either take control or test God's power. 
because we don't trust, we don't have faith that he's going to take care of us. See, this comes up in two different ways, and I just said it. You're either in the position of Jesus where Satan comes to you and says, hey, if God really loves you, if God's really that powerful, test him. All right, make a, make a deal with God. Try to joystick God. Try to manipulate his power to suit your needs. Or the other way is it's just like Eve. He said, here's power. It's all yours. You can just take it. You just have to do something immoral to get it. It might not just be reaching out and pulling the, the apple off the tree. But it might be telling a lie or cheating someone or being greedy. You know, we have that hunger for power. And I think it's a, it's a picture of our lack of faith in the one who's in total power. And that's something that Satan's going to continue to do. He's going to play on that lack of faith. He's going to try and get us to doubt God's power. He's going to try and get us to not have faith in what he's going to do. And we need to resist that temptation. And that's really hard to do because it's, sometimes it's not really easy to just foster that faith. Because we live in a world that tries to explain this all away. So I've got three things that, that I've done that have helped me develop my faith or helped me develop my faith when I'm feeling weak. And the first thing is I pray for it. I just say, God, I'm not strong enough. That I, I, need, I need faith. I need your help. And just by that prayer alone, that's going to help me grow my faith. Because I believe, number one, he's going to give me faith. But the other side of that is when you're asking God for guidance and help and provision... When you're asking him for that, that's going to grow your faith. You're depending on him. So that's the first thing. Pray for it. The other thing is give by it. This is something that I find myself struggling with all the time. I want to hold on to my stuff, whether it's my money or my time or my whatever. I want to hang on to it. And it's really a picture of my lack of faith in God. Because, God, I've got to hold on to my money and my time because I'm not sure that you're going to take care of the bills. Or, God, I've got to hang on to my money and my time because... I don't think that you're going to make me happy, so I need to buy nice things for myself. But really, that's not having faith at all. And so when we start to give by faith, when we stretch it just a little bit further, when we spend a little bit more time, you know, or a lot more time, we give of our time, give of our money, give of our resources, we're going to grow by faith because we're saying, God, here's what's most important to me. I trust you with it. And the last thing is we live by faith. Put yourself in circumstances where your faith is going to be challenge maybe that's going on a missions trip or volunteering with the ministry or actively pursuing hurt and broken people put yourself in circumstances where you're going to see God's power at work because if you just sit at home and you're you know sitting on the couch and whether you're playing video games or watching tv or whatever you do you're not putting yourself in a position to really grow in faith or to see God's power in action so that's it those are the three big plays that Satan's going to use against us. He's going to use our fleshly desires against us. He's going to try and get us to desire excess, and it's going to lead us away from relying on God. He's going to use the desires of our eyes to, to tell us this lie of shortcuts and trick us into idolatry. And he's going to use the desire, our desire for power to weaken our faith in the one with the most power. And guys, we need to be prepared for that. We need to stand firm in that. Because Satan's not going to stop. So we need to use what we know and be ready. Because it's game day. And we're not playing for a score on a scoreboard. We're fighting for our lives.
you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word, and we thank you for your son. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, that as we go from this place, that we're prepared for the attacks of the enemy so that we can resist the temptation to fall away from you. Father, we love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.